The world is in a climate crisis and all industries must do their part to reach zero emissions. Maritime trade is critical to today's society, but is also responsible for 2.8% of all greenhouse gases. A future where global trade reaches zero is possible, but how do we actually get there? I'm Laura Jacobson, Zero North's Chief Purpose Activist and an expert in sustainable shipping. In Navigating Zero, I'm sitting down with thought leaders to explore the inner workings of global trade, its massive impact on our society, and the obstacles it faces in navigating its way to zero. What does it mean to lead boldly? It can mean being a first mover and taking the risks associated with charting a new way forward. It can be putting profit and planet hand in hand or finding innovative ways to put sustainability at the heart of strategy. It can also mean being able to see where today's trends might lead us tomorrow. Today, I'm speaking with someone who took historic actions in an industry that strongly disagreed with him. Most will know Lord John Brown for his 41-year career at BP, British Petroleum, and specifically the period between 1995 and 2007 where he served as the CEO of that company. Under his leadership, BP made some of the most dramatic changes in the organization's history and oversaw a change in direction that was radical, even by today's standards. In his landmark 1997 speech at Stanford University, he declared a new direction for BP. You have to understand, at this time, the climate emergency was not part of the wider conversation. So him standing up and saying that this oil company was going to change the way they were working and look towards alternative energy solutions, it was really groundbreaking. Since his time at BP, Lord Brown has dedicated his life to fighting climate change. In 2021, he founded and is chairman of Beyond Net Zero, a climate growth equity venture from General Atlantic. General Atlantic has over 77 billion US dollars under management. He also serves as an independent co-chairman of the United Kingdom's Prime Minister's Council on Science and Technology, chairman of the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering, and chairman of the Francis Crick Institute. A story that Lord Brown often tells is that his career journey began with his father telling him to get a real job. This led him to become an apprentice at BP in 1966. I eventually became the CEO of BP in 1995. I was very excited to think about how BP could use its core skills uh, to have the economies of both intellectual and physical scale become a significant force in the energy business, which I did by uh, creating, I think, what was called the first super major in the world uh, by merging with Amico. And 11 acquisitions later, uh, I think we were the second largest oil and gas company and renewable company in the world by the time I left in 2007. En route in 1997, I was worrying the whole time about uh, whether or not uh, BP and the oil industry were the cause of climate change. And this was early on. And we concluded, being a technologically-based company, that actually we were part of the problem and we now had to be part of the solution. So in 97, after a lot of study, I made a, 
a speech which uh, was rather shocking to the oil industry, but very good for BP, we concluded we had to do something to limit the impact of oil and gas on the climate. And we did some quite advanced things and some things that turned out in the end not to be that good because technology changed. But a couple of things we did do was make sure we took account of the cost of carbon in every project that we did. That was very important. And also make sure that we stopped leaking methane into the atmosphere because we figured out that that was one of the most damaging greenhouse gases and one most easy to handle. We also looked at carbon capture and storage. We never got a project off the ground. We nearly got one off the ground in 2005, but the gap was too big and governments were not prepared to do what they now do, which is to offer phased tax incentives. And we went into renewables, but uh, the renewables we went into, it was too early. And the cost reductions that we now see in renewables really weren't available at that time. But all in all, we concluded that something had to be done and we actually did something about it rather than just say, this is a terrible problem, we can't do anything about it. Yep. Thank you so much for giving me that introduction. Actually, I'm from Palo Alto, so I'm quite uh, familiar with Stanford and the innovation that goes on there and your famous speech that you did there. So do you think that was the trigger that ignited your ideas on the necessity to fight climate change while you were at BP? So I think um, it happened before then. I was uh, intrigued by the Rio summit. Uh, It was clearly an issue. And most people were... I think, in the position of saying we must uh, shower this uh, problem with rhetoric and not do too much. And so there are big debates about whether a company should become a leader in environmental management or the leader in environmental management. There were a lot of debates like that. We wanted to find out what was really going on. So between 95 and 97, we did a lot of work on First, uh, talking to everybody who was an expert in this area. And one or two of them really affected our thinking. The late and great uh, director of the UK Met Office, Sir John Houghton, for example, very, very influential in our thinking. And we just decided that, you know, on the balance of probability, what we understood about the world, we have a lot of geoscientists in BP, after all, that uh, this is something we had to do something about. Started with precautionary principle, but very quickly went into positive action, additionality, doing things which are different. And, and I think it was just the, the sense that there was some real rational thinking behind this. And while based on models and forecast, it looked quite clear that something was happening and we had to do something about it. It wasn't something you could let run to the end result and say, gosh, we need to just fix it, because by that time, it was too late. I mean, you are definitely a trailblazer, somebody who is pushing leadership into new directions. And so I think this episode is really about how do we inspire other leaders to be bold? And maybe you can talk a little bit from your point of view of what levers could other CEOs pull in their companies and targets that you set that help you to push the envelope. So I think there's an awful lot of thoughtful work going on in reducing carbon impact 
What can you do to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in a variety of industries? The issue is, I think, in the industries that are either very hard to abate, so, for example, the production of steel or the production of concrete and cement, or the oil and gas industry, where the question is one of how long will we use oil and gas and what happens when we stop using it? And so, naturally, the oil companies... And actually, importantly, and far more importantly, the national oil companies are concerned about this. And they're saying, well, on the one hand, we need to provide energy of today. But on the other hand, we may go out of business if we agree too much, too readily with what needs to be done. So there's a big balance. There's a lot of dissonance between the objectives here. But a lot of companies, an awful lot of companies, consumer companies... Um, actually some manufacturing, is doing quite a lot in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. In a 2022 interview with The Guardian, Lord Brown said that he loved the word beyond. He explained that his first book was called Beyond Business and the climate growth venture is called Beyond Net Zero. I think this tells us something about how Lord Brown approaches bold leadership. Leading boldly is about going further than is expected of you and seeing a future that is beyond the thinking of today. Beyond Net Zero is a good example of this forward thinking. Through investments, he's removing the financial barrier that is always cited as a blocker to real climate innovation. Companies that Beyond Net Zero invests in are not just in the oil and gas sector. They're also agricultural and supply chain focused. So how does Lord Brown see Beyond Net Zero fitting into the bigger picture of combating climate change? So there are different ways of getting to zero. I would say the areas that Beyond Net Zero are in, which is light on capital expenditure, heavy on what you might call optimization, is about 20% of the solution. We very much focus on areas where you can take existing ideas and make them much better when it comes to the emission of greenhouse gases. How do you, for example, stop ships going in the wrong direction the whole time or standing by for demurrage? Can you optimize your supply chain to get things from A to B using the minimum amount of fuel and the minimum amount of time. It's not obvious that the best way to run a ship is like in the olden days, owners would tell masters, full steam ahead from A to B, and you arrive, and then you've got to wait, and you've spent too much fuel. Mm. There are plenty of other more sophisticated problems that can be solved, and there's a lot of energy, uh, therefore a lot of carbon that can be saved. For example, even in the cement business, just by making sure that you use the right ingredients and you don't move things around too much, you can probably reduce carbon dioxide emission by 5%, just using ways of making the processes more efficient. Most of greenhouse gases are going to be removed with heavy capital expenditure. Changes in the energy system, changes in the way manufacturing takes place, These are very big investments. For example, there's a big issue is how far can electrification go? And that requires us to think about 
everything. The sources of electricity, obviously, whether or not they do generate CO2, can we capture it and store it? How do we get the electricity from A to B in a most efficient way? Do we have the infrastructure to do that? There's a lot of questions which are unresolved at the moment, all of which require a lot of investment. And I think a very exciting investment, I may say. And eventually will happen when policy, that is to say, the intent of nations aligns with the intent, the genuine intent to reduce greenhouse gases. I just want to talk a little bit about something you said. In the shipping industry, there's a huge pressure mounting right now in order for us to not only adhere to new regulations, but also to go beyond them, not only from societal pressures, but also from the way we interact with each other. So I have a real curiosity about how do we actually solve the problem of profit and planet? And being someone who is investing and has financial acumen, as well as having background in oil and energy, as well as shipping, is there new business models that will help us solve this problem? And what investment is necessary from the financial sector? Well, I think everything is step by step. So if you, if you look at, for example, shipping, there's clearly a step you can take, which is how can we make it more efficient? Can we you know, stop people standing by? Can we get from A to B and arrive just at the right time so there's very little waiting around and burning fuel? Can we optimize voyage conditions? All of this will start the process of reducing greenhouse gas emission emissions. The next step then is what can we do with the existing capital equipment without completely reforming it and change maybe the fuel and how it's burnt? So there's a big discussion about methanol, but can we get green methanol at a cost that makes sense for owners to fill up ships uh, and uh, actually get a return? And then thirdly, can you change the ships themselves? I mean, the vessel designs and the whole way they're propelled, that's the third category and one which takes a lot of capital expenditure and therefore a lot of commitment to get a return. Returns are, of course, dependent on regulation. uh, And there are regulations that say you will not do this. You cannot do certain things. And so that's moved the industry in a certain way. It's very interesting that people are focused on marine. It's about 3% of global carbon uh, greenhouse gas emissions. But I think it's very visible because people have, I think they perhaps forgot in the time of easy globalization that I think it's about 90% of world trade happens on the water. And so it's become very visible. But it's the same amount of greenhouse gases as the aviation industry which has an even bigger challenge of, you know, what to do with flying and how do we actually produce the right amount of fuel for propulsion that actually does have zero carbon emissions. This is a very big problem. In an interview from June 2023, Lord Brown commented that It's going to take a few decades to do away with an energy system that has been built over centuries. 
The bottom line is that we're still going to be reliant on fossil fuels, and that unfortunately will not change anytime soon. We need to be able to exhibit a proactiveness in our industry that doesn't just respond to policy or regulation changes. Inevitably, the kind of energy we use will change over time, just as it has done in the past. And in the same way, the way we do business will also have to adapt. Well, it's, it's very simple. Energy, if you want to look at it as a business, as the world's largest business, it's uh, the input to almost everything we do. And for a very long time, we've gone through different ages of energy. Uh, we started, you know, at the turn of the last millennium, probably with mostly burning wood. And then we discovered coal. And these eras were very long eras where people began to change the technology very slowly. Then we discovered oil, and oil was used for primarily mobility, but also for heating and electricity in remote locations. And then at that time, natural gas, which required a lot of infrastructure, was often regarded as a big disappointment if you discovered it. I remember people saying, not another gas field, unless there were pipelines and structure to get it to market. But now we're in an age where gas is very important, coal is less important, and coal will become less important. It will take time. So oil and gas will stick around until we can figure out how to fill the gap. How do we fill up the amount of energy we need to replace these things over time? The sooner the better, but it will take a lot of time. Can we, for example, create more efficient nuclear fission reactors? And when will we get the first nuclear fusion reactor? How do we get huge amounts of renewable energy, wind and solar, from the places where there's the best wind and the best sun to places where people live? So how do we get very, very long distance at transmission of electricity? All of these things are going to happen. The speed at which they happen probably can't be left just to the way it is and the market reacting, given the circumstances of the day. Because if we want to change, we need to make a positive change to public policy to get that change working faster than it would normally get to work. And that's happening in some parts of the world, in the US, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act and other related pieces of financing will spur further development. It's not about innovation, it's about scaling. It's really about taking what we know, using it more often, getting it better by using it, and expanding its presence in the energy business to substitute what we otherwise would do. But it's, it's complicated and it needs more push. I listened to an interview that you did where you say regulations have a problem because they're not solving problems. They're fixing problems. So it's not preventative. Can we talk a little bit more about that? So I think you need a combination. So regulations say, here's the box in which you live and we'll reduce the size of the box and get you to change behavior. But actually, the best way of doing it is also to give people incentives, encouragement to change. Because therefore, I think you get a faster response. And you don't get so much fighting back. 
against what someone is imposing upon you. You may create something which is a brand new business. And that's where I think the excitement exists. We have a big challenge. We must never lose the plot. We have to reduce greenhouse gas emissions rapidly and quickly. How do we do that? Answer, we can create new businesses to do that. We really can. We can create businesses to capture, direct air capture of, of carbon dioxide. We can do carbon dioxide direct removal. We can do carbon capture and storage. We can do small nuclear reactors. We can do fusion reactors, which are coming along very well because of the huge computing power that can be applied to them, where you can run experiments digitally rather than on the ground. So it speeds things up. We can do much more wind and solar. And wind and solar, put in the right places, operate at different times of the day and allow you to have a more steady output of electricity. And we can change the car park, the the amount of uh, times people, the amount, the nature of automobiles on the road. Not immediately because people don't buy a new car every year. Most people don't. They, you know, it takes time to turn over the capital stock. So lots of things we can do. And uh, we have to, I mean, if this were, if you were looking at this purely as a business person, which you can't possibly do because it's about politics as well, you would always look at the things that made the biggest difference and try and do those first and go down and eventually get to the ones that make little difference. We're going to get a random set of outcomes because it depends on, you know, in the end, everything is about local politics. You know, what can you get? How can you bring the stakeholders with you? How can you really do that? Because you have to be able to do that. I'm confident that everybody, I mean, the majority of the world gets the idea that we've got to reduce greenhouse gases. We've got to stop the world having very unusual rises in temperature, which will affect the where, where people live, whether they can live, force them to migrate. Something has to be done. The question is who pays, how do we pay, what's the impact? And there are, you know, there are ways and ways of doing that, but uh, they take a lot of careful thinking to get political acceptance. Getting political buy-in for climate initiatives is infamously difficult. However, this year has seen some progress on that front. In January 2024, the EU emissions trading system expanded fully to include shipping. So shipping companies are concerned about this new regulation as they need to accurately report on their emissions and are also accountable for the emissions produced in the EU region. These regional changes were achieved by the cooperation of the private and public sectors coming together. When thinking about individual companies and leaders, I asked Lord Brown what advice he would give to other senior leaders who want to implement bolder decision-making towards a greener future. Well, it's, it's very important to obviously spend a lot of time doing the following thing. First, saying what your purpose is and repeating it very frequently. So if our purpose is to be a company producing X, while reducing greenhouse gas emissions, because that is important for humanity generally. Let's work back, let's always state that purpose. 
because leaders must be convinced and convincing about the purpose of their enterprise. The second thing leaders have to do then is to find a way of including everybody in that purpose. How can you engage everybody so they feel that they are contributing? They don't only really feel, they are actually contributing to that purpose. The more people you leave stranded, the less of a leader you are. You have to think of these two dimensions as the single most important things. There are plenty of techniques to do that, which take time, and they take time and listening and adjustment. But you have to have a majority of people in the organization, a significant majority, behind you before you go out. Otherwise, the world out there may be quite tough. You need your team with you. Otherwise, your purpose will fray as you go outside. And you have to be realistic. Every action you take has contradictions. I'm afraid no action induces all winners. It just doesn't. Uh, there are winners and losers, and you need to think that through. You know, what, How are you going to handle people who don't agree with you and actually positively don't agree with you? What do you do about that? And how do you explain the trade-offs to people? Because there are always trade-offs, always balances and not be surprised that people say, well, it sounds wonderful, but for me, it's no good. The oil and gas industry has a big contradiction and, and some are moving in different directions on that contradiction. Price of oil today is, is very high. It's tending towards $100 a barrel. The price of natural gas is very high indeed in Europe. It has a tendency to spike. So oil and gas companies make a lot of money in their very basic business, which they're very good at generally, called finding and developing oil and gas and marketing it in the appropriate way as product or directly. So many are saying, but we also want to change, which is really good. The question is, how do they do that? Do they diversify into other areas like electricity, different products and so forth? Or do they stick to their business adjusted for today? So can they make their processes work better with carbon capture and storage? Can they change the nature of the products they're developing from the liquids they refine? So this is the big uh, debate that is going around at the moment. Investors stand in one place, communities stand in another, NGOs stand in a third. There are plenty of different people and leaders have to resolve all those tensions and take a path and decide what they're going to do. They, they can't be vague. They cannot be vague. I think one of the really interesting things that is stopping the shipping industry from changing is business as usual. And change management is something that's critical. You've talked about how in the long run, everything sorts itself out. It's the transition that's the difficult part. And today we're in a huge transition in the global trade industry, our green transition. So what advice can you give to global trade? You know, you can't just get to the answer in one leap. This is about, as you say, change management, it's about transitions. I'd argue that all, all leadership, you know, about purpose and inclusion, requires you to be always in an interim stage. 
You're always transitioning something, partly because the world outside you, the context is always changing. So for shipping, I think it's all about step by step. We can do much better with what we're doing at the moment, without any doubt. We can make it more efficient. Where we go from there depends on how successful we are with that and how people think about the importance of shipping. I personally think that, as we can see today, there will be more regulation that pushes people to turn over vessels on a basis which is practical but aggressive, I would say. We did the same with, uh, remember, single-hull tankers were running around the world and everybody said double-hull will kill the industry. There'll be no vessels available. This is nonsense. Everyone adapts, provided they have the conviction that there's no choice and time to do what they need to do and an understanding. And that, I think, will happen with greenhouse gases. This is what I learned from my conversation with Lord Brown. Bold leadership is not just about going against the grain. It's about having a long-term view of the complicated world we live in. Policy and regulations are a box that changes in size to keep the industry in check. However, incentivization is also another piece of the puzzle when it comes to change management. It helps convince second and third movers that change is beneficial. And lastly, the industry will likely not change on its own, but business as usual can be disrupted. Thank you so much to Lord John Brown for joining me today. And thank you for listening to Navigating Zero, Global Trade's powerful wave of change. If this conversation has inspired you, then please follow us on your podcast app of choice for more fascinating discussions of how we reach zero. You can also subscribe to our newsletter. You'll find a link in the show notes below. Bye for now.